Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists. Ruby's live remote receptionists and proprietary technology are your solution to delivering excellent customer service experiences by answering live calls in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, or making outbound calls for you. Most importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. To learn more, visit callruby.com or better yet, call us at 855 255 Ruby. My guest today is Anissa Telwar Kaker, the founder and CEO of Anissa International. Without a college degree or any formal business training, she began honing her skills at age 17, working for her mom's import export company. She started her own company in 1992, and Anissa International is now a global leader in the design and creation of unique beauty tools and solutions for the cosmetics industry. Welcome, Anissa. Hi, Paul. Thank you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, I'd love to just hear a little bit about uh, Anisa International, uh, what you guys do today, uh, product services, employees. Tell us what you, what you guys are about. So mainly we manufacture, design, and innovate in a very unique space, a very you know interesting space people don't really think about, and that's cosmetic brushes. We make sure that women today have the right tools that they need. And that is through our own, again, creation and design, how we will take a product like a powder or a foundation, and we will make sure it's paired perfectly with the right tool. We work with some of the best uh, businesses like Sephora and Mac and Estee Lauder and uh, really proud of our customers. And so we make sure they have what they need when it comes to brushes. And we then will manufacture. We're fully integrated. We focus on right now also how to be sustainable, how to be responsible when we manufacture in China, which we've been doing that now for 15 years. And again, I've been doing this for 25 plus years, so I have a real passion still for the beauty industry. And I hope that sums it up. Yeah, you've made quite an impact over all these years. So how many employees do you have? Uh, What kind of revenues overall for the company? Right now, we have globally 600 plus employees. Um, our revenue is, you know, close to 50 uh, million and, you know, again, we're privately owned. Um, we make sure that, you know, it's important to us on a lot of levels that, you know, through our growth and, you know, through the revenue successes that we've had, that we also give back. So we're also, you know, part of this, um, these milestones we've been hitting financially, we are very philanthropic and want to give back to the communities around us. So we, you know, we have goals to grow the business further. We feel like we're making a great impact and the brush is the hero to us and it helps us do a lot more than just create, you know, beauty tools. Yeah, it's, it's ama- uh, amazing to think about a uh, $50 million business in brushes, <laughs> but uh, it's much more than that, I know, and I want to hear that story. Uh, but let, let me take you back to really how you got started, because as I understand it, a lot of your business story had to do with your mom having her own business and uh, the successes and failures that she had. So take us back and tell us that story and how that impacted you. 
So my mother started her own business um, when I was 12 and she was married, you know, to my dad and it wasn't working out. And she, she really wanted to create independence for herself. So she started an international trading company where in the beginning it was, she was just importing products from Turkey and it was mainly rugs. And she would carry these to, you know, people she knew and she would try to sell them. And that business grew, really grew where she was then exporting goods from the United States, mainly food uh, to the Middle East. And it was phenomenal to watch her because I saw her go through so much, you know, so much fear, so much lack of confidence, but then just doing it anyway. And then when I was 17, I was able to work with her, help her in her office. And then I did not, you know, continue my college education because I felt I was getting really good training and I was much more engaged, you know, learning from her. So that's what happened. I worked with her for about five years and in that period of time, I learned so much. We went through IRS audits. I learned about payroll. I learned about hiring processes. I learned about strategy. I learned about, you know, when times get tough and you don't have enough money in the bank and what do you do? And, you know, diversification of your product skew and, you know, how do you build a pipeline for new opportunity and revenue? So I didn't know that's what I was learning. I was just going in and doing what I needed to do every day to pretty much survive in a family business for a pretty tough, you know, owner, um, who had a lot of vision and a lot of drive and I wasn't treated in a special way. You know, I was just someone who needed to make it happen. And, you know, through that process now looking back, you know, 20 something years later, how much I learned, um, how I can understand that, you know, she helped me be able to strategize, which I think is huge when it comes to building a business. So what ultimately happened with that business? Well, you know, she was shipping mainly to the Middle East and she hadn't diversified. She had one major customer. And when the Gulf first Gulf War happened, it devastated her business because the U.S. embargoed everything that we had ready to ship. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was awful. It was pretty, pretty tough. And it was awful to see my mother go through that because she had built something that in a moment was gone and it was nothing she could have really done about it. Um, other than maybe not to had had so much concentration in one customer. Mm. Yeah, that's a well, that's a problem that a lot of businesses have. But that uh, that had a huge impact, obviously, on her business and on you. So so early on, just by working with your mom, you saw this great success. You saw it go away uh, very quickly. What was your relationship with your mom like during those years? Well, it was. I mean, the I stayed with her the last year, uh, and I helped her you know, in the sense of the creditors that were calling for a year. I mean, I was the one picking up the phone. She was then trying to look for other opportunity. It it was tough. And at the end of that year, I just didn't have much left. I was very young. I was, you know, 23, 24. And she said, you have to find something else to do. You know, you cannot any longer, you know, align with me. I I can't offer you any opportunity. And she she was just trying to survive. So a gentleman I had met during that time, had a family business and brushes. And she said, why don't you talk to him? So, you know, I don't think she expected me to leave for very long. (laughs) I thought she felt like she was going to figure it out. I'd come back. But then when I didn't come back, I think that was really hard for her when I said, okay, I'm going to really focus on building my own business. I think that was really tough. 
Um, now, now she's very proud of me, but for about a few years there, she didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> you went off and used everything you learned from her uh, to uh, start this other business. So, how did that business start? This gentleman brought you in, and uh, well, how did I you start the out, business? Yeah, well, I, I just reached out to him and I said, "May I please, you know, I feel like I can sell your brushes. I'm in the U.S. You're in, you know, you're in Korea. Let me have an opportunity." I said, "I cannot pay you if I were to sell." any brushes, I would need you to give me terms. So I said, I'm not asking for a salary. I will take care of myself. Um, just can you please let me market your product? And he agreed to it. So he was able for the first few years to give me a bit of a credit line. And then I grew the business to the point where he said he could no longer do it. So then that's when I had to go and get my first bank loan. (laughs) So you were just kind of repping these brushes, uh, and then turned that into your own business or did you have to pull away from working with him? So I was, what I was doing was just putting a little brush in a pink envelope and mailing it to New York. And, um, that would get a meeting for me and I would be able to walk in and somehow get these people to listen to me and talk to me so that I could sell his brushes. And then, you know, at that time it was his brushes. Yeah. I was a rep. I was a distributor. I was an agent. And then, What happened was that, again, I wanted to just work with him because I trusted him. He had the integration with the manufacturing. He was really very supportive. He was teaching me an industry I did not know anything about. So every day, every night, you know, 12 hours difference, we would get on the phone, talk it through. We became partners. And he taught me this passion about a product, which I didn't know. Again, that's what I was learning and how to hone in on a craft and how to become an expert at something. So I worked with him for 15 years. Um, he was my sole supply chain Mm. and I built a pretty viable business and a good reputation. Wow. Well, at what point did you start to add people to your team and start really your, your leadership journey? Obviously you had been part of your mom's company, but at some point you start to take on employees and, and have to be, be the, uh, the person in charge yourself. So the first four years I was on my own, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So, you know, when everybody speaks to, Oh, you're an, you know, this entrepreneurial word, like that wasn't what was happening. I was just a, an, a sole owner. Like when you check the box of something. So I just was self-employed. And so the first four years, that's what I did. I maybe had a few people help me assistant here and there, but after the first four years, that's when I hired my first person in New York to be a salesperson. I engaged somebody to really work with me out of Texas and they, I just had a sales team. And again, I don't know if I had really great managerial style, just very, very focused, very, very driven. And it was all about generating revenue. A few years after that, I think is when I started to hire someone. I got an office outside of my own home, um, hired someone I had known from the industry. She was older, wiser, really started helping me with the operations. Um, I was traveling a lot. So it was very hard for me to manage people and I was under a lot of stress. And I think when you start a business or when I started the business back then, I wasn't, you know, the best leader, a lot of my frustration, uh, in so many ways. And a lot of my fear would be taken, you know, I kind of take it out on people around me, not knowing that's what I was doing. I was just thinking I was motivating them, getting them to do what they needed to do. But, you know, I was living in a lot of anxiety. And so I think my entrepreneurial journey for leadership really didn't start till 10 years ago. 
where I realized the impact I had on individuals, what my behavior could do to motivate or demotivate. Let's take a quick break. Support for today's episode comes from Benedictine University's Center for Values-Driven Leadership, where they offer a PhD program for senior executives who want to build strong, positive cultures that deliver exceptional performances. The unique curriculum combines academic rigor with insights you can put to work on Monday morning. Through the three-year program, you become an expert in the aspect of leadership you're most passionate about so you can have a transformative impact in your business and on society. Find out how you can lead your company while you earn your PhD. Visit cbdl.ben.edu slash doctorate for more information or Google PhD Values Leadership. That's PhD Values Leadership. And now back to the podcast. So let's talk about that a little bit because uh, what you're saying, which is so true that those of us that start uh, bootstrap businesses and this entrepreneurial journey, it feels like you know we went to entrepreneur school or leadership school and we really didn't. And in, in your case, it kind of took you 15 years before you realized the importance of leadership and the impact you could have on people. Give me a couple examples of where that played out. So yeah, it's it's kind of an it's I was had a slow journey. I think mm-hmm. you know I had a successful company year over year, but again, I just don't think it was spoken to in the way that it is now about building a culture, about building a team. I felt like I was supposed to be in charge of everything, mm-hmm. um, and I think again, I I'm not coming from this point of view of blame or point of view of. It's just not knowing. I saw what my mother did. And again, being a female at that time in business was very different than it is today. Um, I felt like I had to constantly prove myself. I felt like I was always in an uncharted waters. Um, it is lonely at the top. And those first 15 years were a grind. Then, you know, when I, again, started to realize, wait a minute, I have built something that is worth uh, growing and I cannot grow it on my own. So that's when I realized the impact I was having on people. Um, and I'm not talking about that. I need to, I don't even know how to, like, I, I don't like, sometimes I was con- I would be condescending. I would act like what they said was not right. Like, I mean, I can still do that today. I'm hoping I'm not condescending today. I don't think that's valuable. However, being a leader and having the energy to inspire people to follow your vision as an entrepreneur is a daily, you know, being present, being authentic, um, being ourselves and dealing what we have to deal with is not easy. It's not easy at all. And, uh, and I'm sure those are skills you're still honing today. Uh, and uh, w- all of us are, are uh, continuing to grow those skills and realizing that, the, that our job really is to lead people. It's not even so much about the strategy and the innovation and all those things which uh, you know, we can set the vision for but are executed by the people we work with. But uh, I realized over the years that that when people said to me, what kept you up at night? I felt like it was, did I have the right people in the right seats at the right time? And and that was it. Uh, so it's really fascinating how it really took that long for you to realize or to get out of this mindset that you probably came originally from your mom and you thought like, I've just got to be strong and tough and, and, uh, 
you know, know everything about everything and tell people what to do. And all of a sudden you realize uh, the world is changing and it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to uh, ask questions. It's okay to collaborate and, and build a culture uh, of inclusiveness, which uh, of course you've been able to do all these years. In those early days, other than from your mom, can you think of any other maybe unexpected learning from an unexpected source? I always have been really lucky to have, you know, these people that walk into my life or a book to, you know, to, you know, I've always had, um, also been very open, right. To what do I need to learn? Because I didn't go to college. I feel like life has been my school. So there's been books, you know, like a lot of sales books I read, but like old timey, like stuff like by Zig Ziglar, um, you know, think and grow rich, um, the, um, Robert Kiyosaki book about rich dad, poor dad was a fascinating to me. Uh, these kinds of things I have, you know, really, really just, I think just absorbed and then, you know, doing really good trainings, like some self-actualization trainings and Dale Carnegie and just always, you know, different kinds of people that have come in and taught us, um, how to engage I love that. I don't find it to be hokey. I feel like you have to find the right information because there's a lot of information right now. Find the right teachers or mentors but and coaches. And right now I'm looking for a good leadership coach because I am going to the next level as a CEO. And I need someone to help me see my blind spots. And that's what I think it's all about. We don't know everything, right? We, yeah. sh- we shouldn't have to know everything. But we are always – we should challenge ourselves, I feel, continually – how to be better at what we do. And that's such an important point about learning and being open to learning. And the fact is, when I talk to entrepreneurs uh, that have grown even companies uh, like yours, as big as yours is, uh, if you think about it, it's it's not as much of what you learned in school. It could be that really inspiring book that you picked up that gives you the tools to do what you do. So many of us uh, learn from uh, other people, from mentors, uh, people that inspire us, people that write about how to do this. And and you can't teach that in, in school. And it's great that you continue to be open to those kinds of things. You know, you've grown the company, not just in terms of size, but in terms of being a very special company. You were recently awarded as one of the top Forbes small giants in the country, which is a tremendous honor, I know, for you. What makes the company really special today? How have you built that unique culture? It's, um, it is exciting. It is, I'm so honored by this and to be acknowledged in this way. And I think, you know, one of the foundations of this acknowledgement, this honor is that we specialized in a certain category. We changed an industry to really look at this product differently and to be a sustainable product. So where we, you know, no longer will produce any kind of animal fiber that we are so, you know, such a strategic partner, not just a vendor to our um, consumers, to our clients. And then internally, we really focused on being, being that organization, no matter how big we get the culture of collaboration, the culture of transparency, the culture to give back you know, also to learn and grow professionally and personally. I've always been an advocate because if your personal life is a mess, what can you really give to your work Hmm. life? And I just, I feel, I really do care about the people in my company. I want to make sure they get what they need to be able to be successful and to perform. And that means on all levels. So I think, again, we have 
we have chosen to be, it's all, it's been the quality versus quantity. And there are customers I would not work with because they do not align with us. They don't really partner with us when it comes to resources. So again, I think we want to grow the business. Now I would love, you know, I think it's okay that we can now go to the quantity level, but again, I do not want to give up the quality of who we are as an organization. I think that's what small giants recognized. Yeah, that's right. And um, innovation has a lot to do with what you've done. You mentioned that you removed hair from your uh, animal hair from your products. That came from a really unique experience or something that you found out. Um, talk about that. So we have been manufacturing in China. You know, I've been manufacturing in China, you know, 30 plus years, but in our own facility for 15 years. And we have not always considered all aspects of the supply chain. So a few years ago, we knew that the animals were being killed for food and that was allowed. We didn't have any animal fiber where they were just killed for their, you know, their hair. However, when we found out the way that it was happening, it just was not acceptable. So therefore, we understood that we couldn't go to our customers and say, okay, listen, you know, we, we cannot any longer in good faith do this. We have to give them a solution first because they're big brands. They need options. So we created fibers that emulated animal fiber. And in fact, they're better. The quality is consistent. The price is better. It's contained. And we were able to innovate and create phenomenal materials that you can't do with an animal fiber. So when we took that to our customer and said, this is what we found, this is what we now need to do, and we would like to give you a year to transition, all of our customers did it because we gave them a solution and did not come at them as an emotional response to something. So this, I think, is the way to go when it comes to changing things that are in our world today that aren't working. We have to find solutions to replace them. And then people will respond. And so that's what we've done. And we're going to be receiving an award um, next month from one of our biggest customers because of this, because they realized we thought ahead. We, we handled some risks for them. We handled a lot of things for them. And so they're going to acknowledge us for that, which is great. Wow. Good for you. You know, you talk about your internal culture and, uh, actually caring about the, the people that work with you. I know that you've also gotten very much into self-care. So how have you done that both for yourself and shared that with your team? So I think that's a really great question because probably those first 15 years that I was not maybe that wonderful to work for had a lot to do with the lack of self-care. And so now coming in, I guess, in my 40s and my 50s, realizing, again, through other people who have been good coaches and teachers, watching, seeing, learning that when I am good to myself, everybody benefits. And the awareness of that now is phenomenal. Like I was talking to my niece She's 19 and we had dinner together on Sunday. Well, she hadn't eaten all day on Sunday for some reason. She just forgot to eat. Well, she wasn't that much fun to be with. I got to tell you when I picked her up. So <laughs> I, I had to talk to her about, you know, self-care that you know, she takes care of her cat better than she takes care of herself. And so is there a way that I can impart this to her so that she can know going forward 
in her, in her life, making sure she gets sleep and, you know, she can take time for herself. All those around her are going to benefit. And that's what I think it's about. It's not selfish that we care for ourselves because that means we're going to be able to give in a greater capacity if we are grounded, you know? So I don't know if she heard me. I'm going to continue that conversation with her, but we'll see. Well, I can tell you that I never forget to eat. Uh, so I'm not <laughs> sure, I'm not sure how anybody can do that, but, uh, but I bet you were a good influence on her. And if I went all day, I would be super cranky. So, uh, I can understand, um, what made you want to have an influence on her then. And that's very true. And, and, uh, how do you extend that beyond borders? So, for example, a lot of your employees are, are in your facility in China versus here in the U.S. So how do you try to impart your culture um, on multiple continents? So when we do team building activities, we want to have them aligned. So we've been doing meditation team building. Um, I've been sharing the same leadership type books. We've been bringing in management training that Lines. You know, there is cultural differences and we need to respect that. Uh, however, you know, I think it's also in how we, when we are there together and how the facility is set up and we just opened a new automated facility that is beautiful and clean and phenomenal. We're about to build a new facility that again, will have all of that. You know, it's always having what's next. How can we make it better? Having that focus all the time on how we give them what they need to make it better. I think they then feel cared for. And then all of us, when you feel cared for and you know somebody values you, it's easier to value yourself. So these are the kinds of things that it is constant. Yeah, it's true. And it can transcend borders if you respect those different cultures and maybe you need to use different forms of communication or automation or tools to be able to do it. But it's it's absolutely possible if you're committed to it. If you think, Anissa, to a, a tough or humbling decision you've had to make as a, a leader, what comes to mind? Well, there's so many. Um, you know, the some of the decisions I've had to make, you know, it's always involving people. Um, you know, there can be some of the best people in the world and they just do not align with what our strategy or culture is. There can be people that I've truly cared for and they've done things in my organization that I cannot even understand. Mm. You know, there are, I think it's always with human beings and human nature because the, the more I open myself up, you know, I'm becoming of course more vulnerable to being, you know, just to caring more. However, I think, I think people don't understand too, the more compassionate you become, the stronger you become too, to understand that people will do what they're going to do and not take it personally. Um, you know, my biggest fear is somebody doing something to hurt my organization intentionally or not, but it is what it is. And so I'm having to deal with that and process that and move through that faster where it doesn't hurt the morale of the organization. If they see that I'm affected, it will affect them. So I am learning again, you know, our hiring process, our recruitment process, making sure we bring in the right people from the beginning so we don't have to deal with these things. But there's always going to be something when it comes to human nature that we cannot foresee. Yeah, that's true. Do you also see that as the company grows, sometimes the company outgrows the talent that we have? It's definite. And, you know, to tell you the truth, 
I'm scared, you know, it's going to outgrow me. And Mm -hmm. that's something that's really humbling right now that I need to really look at. Am I in the right position? If I, you know, if I, and I feel like I am with, I'm building a better team that can support me and being the best that I can be. So then allowing now my team to be able to, you know, take on the things I've been doing that I've had to out, you know, I can't do them anymore. I can't do it all. And of course there's going to be people that, yes, we're going to pivot or things are going to change. And, um, and that has been hard. You know, there's been some really good people with me that it was just time. Yeah. I think that's what, that's what happens in every company. If you have a culture that is open and you're having good ongoing conversations with people in a, and if they're self-aware, then at some point you can make those decisions and do it with compassion and people can move on and, and to where they can grow. And I like the idea that you're also always reflecting on, uh, what you're good at and what's the best position position for you and, um, what else you need to improve on. And, and if you think of maybe one part of your leadership journey that you're really focused on improving, what would that be? It is empowering those around me. Um, I don't know what I don't know. And so there's things maybe that I do that I should not be doing. There's things that I may be communicating that are not empowering. Mm. I may not be making, I may not expect enough from those around me because I've been doing it for so long. I lean in so quickly instead of letting them show that they can do it, giving them the time that they can prove themselves that that's what they want to do. Somebody who's really great they want to make impact too. So I need to allow people to do what they were hired to do. So that's what I'm learning right now. It's not easy. <laughs> well, you know, and the, and the result of that is you're just going to feel so much relief and freedom. The more you, you release and allow them to do that, uh, you're obviously going to allow them to grow and have an impact in ways that will make them even more productive. But as a leader, you're going to ultimately uh, not be functionally responsible and, and it's going to feel really good. Uh, so, uh, I encourage you to continue on that part of the journey. Uh, you know, what you've accomplished in, in these years, uh, has really been tremendous and, and, uh, uh, you're an inspiration to many, including those that, that are starting out young people, I'm sure who come into your organization. What kind of advice would you give a young person who's really just starting out in their career? Well, I think that, You know, we just had a situation recently where the person started in not even a month and they're already asking about growth opportunity, (laughs) right? And so what I think is interesting is to have patience, to really understand the path, to be okay that it takes time, maturity, wisdom, you know, take time, having retrospect, you know, making mistakes, all of that needs to happen for the ultimate goal you know, I think whatever it is that they want. And then again, you know, self-awareness is not easy. So we have to create people around us in the beginning who can help us become self-aware that we trust to give us feedback. It's very difficult. I think to what people may consider criticism or constructive criticism. I don't think it has to be criticism. It's feedback for our performance. So like any athlete, if somebody's learning to play tennis or somebody's learning to, you know, whatever it is, they're going to take feedback on the kind, you know, the way they're swinging, where their wrist is, you know, how to get the ball over the net. Like we have to find coaches. And so that would be my first encouragement. And then to allow time 
and to be patient that, you know, we do not have to rush into something. And the more time they allow themselves to learn, the better the end game. You know, it's uh, really important for people to understand that listening to you, someone who's created a $50 million company with 600 employees, that uh, you're just figuring it out. You know that it's uh, 25 years into it, and and it does take that patience and resilience and that constant learning. And and so for people to think that uh, when we grow our companies to a certain size, we've got our act together, we know exactly how to do it. That's just not true. Uh, it's this constant journey. Um, what a, what an incredible story, Anissa. And and I know there's even more to come because, like you said, you've got lot lots of uh, runway ahead of you. Um, let me end with these. Five quick hit questions. Maybe just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, who is a, a particular leader that you look up to? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I like to follow Richard Branson and, you know, Oprah Winfrey, all these. I, lo- I love to follow their Instagrams and see what they talk about and what they're focused on. I, fi- I find them very inspiring. Yeah. Those are two wonderful ones. Um, you already named a couple, but uh, what's a particular book that influenced your leadership style? So there is a book by Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Thinking, mm, yeah. and that transformed me. I, I have forgotten about that, and so I've been really working you know, this year on The Power of Positive Thinking. That's a great book. Uh, do you have an all-time favorite movie? I really love Meryl Streep, so Out of Africa is one of my most favorites. Great one. How about a favorite TV series to binge watch? Well, I'm really into American horror stories right now. I think they're so fun. Oh, really? Okay, good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you're kind of an open book now, but is there something about you that people don't know? Oh, I used to be a kickbox instructor. <laughs> really? I was very fit, and I yeah, and people were scared to take my class. I was pretty intense. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I'm not actually that surprised by that, just listening to you and, uh, <laughs> your personality. Um, well, what an inspiring story, Anissa. Let me, let me just uh, reflect on some of the things that I learned today that I know our listeners uh, took from this as well. I love the story of, uh, of course, what you learned from your mom, the relationship with your mom. I mean, at that time, early on from 17 to, you know, 23, 24, you kind of learned to survive. You were just thrown into this. You did whatever you had to do, which is a very common story with entrepreneurs. And whether you were starting your own company or working with her, she taught you to learn to strategize. Uh, I love how when she kind of told you, hey, you need to look for something else, that um, you took a risk with uh, with the brushes, with this gentleman that uh, gave you the opportunity to sell his product. Uh, you did it without taking a salary and you just kind of built from there. And uh, he taught you a new industry. You guys worked together for 15 years. Um, you know, it was four years where you were just the one person that by yourself until you were able to start to hire people. Um, and, and you talked about your early leadership and that, that in looking back, you kind of said, well, I wasn't maybe a great leader. You probably weren't really self-aware, maybe didn't have enough people around you that were able to tell you um, how you could do things differently. And you talked about how it's challenging as a woman in business or a woman leader that that you felt like you had to be strong. You had to feel like you were always uh, doing everything. But uh, And it took you 15 years. And so people should understand that this takes a long time to, to realize what it takes to be an effective leader. And some of it comes from not being a great leader. Uh, and so 
the fact that you've always been open to learning, you said, quote, life has been my school. Uh, isn't that wonderful? And I always talk to people about the fact that while we put so much pressure on ourselves to act a certain way to know what we want to do, life really does come to us. If you let it come to us, if you let your passion evolve over time, you can really build a great life. Uh, I think from a strategic standpoint in your company, the fact that you focused on a certain category, this idea of everything around brushes and things that touched brushes and that could use in the cosmetic industry, uh, that focus allowed you to be the best in the world at something, um, something special and unique. Uh, and the fact that in that journey, when you learned that you could be more collaborative, that you could be more team focused, you could really start to not only care about the people that worked with you, I'm sure you always cared, but you could be open about it. You could be genuine and you could show people that it was important to care about them, that each of us has to care for ourselves, uh, whether it's how we eat, eating three meals a day, whether it's doing meditation, that if we're good, if we care for ourselves, we're going to be our best people. And that's a really important lesson to learn. Uh, and, and the fact that you're always self-reflecting because while we're looking at the people on our team and saying, are they in the right position? We're also looking at ourselves and saying, am I doing the best work? In your case, you continue with so much experience, knowing that you're great at what you do, being willing to shed these functional areas to other people to allow them this great feeling of having impact because you know what? They're talented. They're smart. They want to grow in their careers. You're, you're letting them do that was just wonderful. And I think the final thing, which is the advice that uh, you offer to young people, which is to one, have people around them that can tell them how it is. Uh, it's really hard when we're young or when we're just heads down working hard to really understand the impact we're having on other people. And it takes those, those people that are having the guts to tell us, hey, this is what impact you're having. Here's how how you are dealing with us is having an impact on others, to have mentors and people. Uh, then you become more self-aware, you become more sensitive. Uh, and the idea of patience, and, and I think that's the most important one, is that uh, you're 25 years into this, right? And you're still figuring it out. And yet along the way, you've managed to build this tremendous company who's changing an industry, award-winning culture, uh, and, uh, and giving back in a big way. So uh, I congratulate you on all your success so far, Nisa. I know there's much more to come, and I really appreciate you being with us today. I know everybody's going to enjoy hearing your story. Thank you, Paul. You're very kind. And thank you for doing this for people like myself. So we get to share our story because I learned from even today being with you. So appreciate you very much. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time, 